stand. Remain standing. Remain standing. Jesus said, And my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I'd like to take a moment today. We haven't been able to do much of this because of COVID. But I'd like to have altar prayer today for anyone who would like to come and meet me here up front because maybe there's something on your heart that you would like to officially give back over to the Lord, a way that you need made, a dead end that you need for him to create a path through the Red Sea, whatever it may be, if you want to meet me here at the altar, let's pray in the house of God. Come now, come now. You need a way made. You need a miracle. You need to be strengthened. It's not going to be said of us that we don't have because we didn't ask. We're going to ask. If it's peace, if it's hope, if it's joy, we're going to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might lift us up in due season. God gives grace to the humble. Father, before we pray for ourselves, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Buffalo. Because what happened yesterday, the ripple effect has reached our hearts. And we mourn with those who mourn. We grieve with those who grieve so unimaginable no one should have to die in a grocery store or in a parking lot but as we've been singing today we've been reminding ourselves that you are in control even when things get out of control and you are good when things feel so bad we trust you even when we don't understand why but we pray for that community. We pray, Lord God, even for that grocery store itself. Things will not be the same for a long time in that place. And so many will try to skip past this moment of grieving and even anger, righteous anger, to jump back to a rebuild. But I just pray, Lord, you would comfort the community, that you would help them in this time a bereavement for families, Lord, who are waking up today. Some of them may stagger into the house of God. Some of them may be at home listening to police reports, even speaking with morticians this morning. We just pray, God, for an unusual grace to cover an unusual act of evil. Thank you that you're a present help in a time of trouble. Well, Satan meant for evil, Lord, would you turn it around and work it for good? Would you bring a revival in that land? Would you bring people, especially black and white people in that community, closer together than ever before? We pray for the mayor and all those, Lord, who are trying to lead in this hour. We're going to have some sleepless nights coming for judges and all the people that are going to weigh in on this. We pray that you would give strength. Thank you for Savannah's reminder that we pray for this young man and his family and all those who will be impacted by his act of lawlessness. 
pray that you strengthen them also. Jesus, you told us that one of the signs of the end times is that the love of many will grow cold. Lord, may that not happen with us. May we not become desensitized to violence, to discrimination. May we not become such where it's just normalized um, because this is not normal. This is not right. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us how to put feet to our prayers, how to uh, press for policies that will make things a little bit safer and better in our communities by way of guns and those who have access to guns. We just pray, Lord, we'll have the courage to do the right thing, not necessarily the politically expedient thing. I pray for the church especially, for us to be the salt and light you called us to be. And I pray for those, my brothers and sisters, my friends, my mothers, my fathers, who are at this altar right now praying to you. So glad to know you know everything that's in their heart. You know every burden that they're dealing with, that they're facing. As a matter of fact, Lord, you've already got it worked out. I just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen their faith to trust you as they wait on you for whatever they're going through. That, God, you would give them a kind of patience because you're developing that in all of us, this perseverance, this patience, this ability, Lord, to hang in there because not only are we holding on to God, but knowing that God is holding on to us. So, Lord, would you bring that miracle would you make a way out of no way for those who are struggling in relationships? There's a son in this church who, who's gone wayward in the last two weeks. The mother's heart is broken. Oh God, help this mother. Help this grandmother, help this father, help this sister. There's their son, their grandson, their brother, Lord, has gone astray. But I thank you that you're the great hound of heaven. He professes to know you. Might he be miserable until he repents? Might he find no joy in sin? Bring him to his senses. And Lord, all of us can relate, whether in our immediate family or our extended family of professing believers or even non-believers, Lord, who are choosing paths that are not well, that are going to be destructive, not only in the long run, but now. We just pray, Lord, that you would be the one to turn hearts back to you in Jesus' name and keep them towards you. I pray for those right now, Lord, in need of financial help, for those in need of a job, for those in need of housing, transportation, uh, relationships, whatever it is, God, nothing is too hard for you. So we cast our cares upon the Lord, knowing that he cares for us. And we're not going to take it back, Jesus. We're going to keep giving it to you. Take it, God. Our shoulders were not built to bear these burdens in our own strength. And as Jonathan reminded us today, not only do we have the comforter inside of us, but we have power inside of us. So help us to rely on the spirit of God to walk through these valleys we may find ourselves in. I thank you, Lord God, that weeping may endure for a night. But joy is coming in the morning. So right now we claim that our joy is coming. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah.
me pray for the word. God, we had an opportunity to communicate to you and sing to you because we love you and we get to worship you. We had an opportunity to pray to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And now, God, we, we need you to speak to us. Thank you for this relationship. It's not one-sided. It's not one-dimensional. I thank you, Lord, that this is a dialogue that we've spoken. And now, Lord, we ask that you speak. We sang about Jesus being the living word. And I thank you for the written word that we have. May the spirit of Jesus minister to us right now through the written word that contains his spoken word. May we never be the same because we heard the master speak. And although, Lord, you're going to speak through these lips of clay, uh, I thank you that your word has a way of not returning void. I thank you that it's sharp, it will cut, it will pierce, it will bring not only encouragement, but the word will bring conviction. As we speak today, Lord, the temptation will be to want to point out the tree trunk in other people's eyes, or rather the splinter in other people's eyes and miss the tree trunk in our own. To point a finger and not point a thumb. Help us, Lord, to receive what we need to receive today, starting with me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I'm not the first mess you've had to work with. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. I'm born again. I've been given the righteousness of Jesus. And yet, Lord, you know that I'm wretched. In my flesh, there dwells no good thing. Oh, yeah. But I thank you for a grace that superabounds over my fallenness, over my brokenness. And it's the same grace, the wells of salvation that we get to drink from today. So, Lord, transform us by your love. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Teach it through me. Teach it to me. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. It is a fact. It is a fact. that you cannot smell your own breath. Somebody said, I'm glad about that. It is a fact that you can't smell your own breath. Now I know when you would go out on a date in high school and you would, you know, do like that, try to smell your breath. That technique doesn't work. If anything, you just see that your breath is hot. You can't smell your own breath. And scientists are divided over why that is the case. Some say it's because of how the nose and the mouth are connected and all these medical terms and things like that, which I cannot regurgitate right now. But they're saying that there's something connected to the nose and the mouth that causes you to not to be able to smell your own breath. But then other scientists say that one of the reasons we can't smell our own breath is because we have become so accustomed to the smell of our breath or the odor of our breath that we don't recognize it anymore. Well, we've become so used to it. And the thing about it, since we can't smell our own breath, you need that friend in your life who will come up to you and let you know that uh, you're smoking. 
Yahamen. There's some toxicity rolling up out of there that seems to come from your esophagus. Uh, uh, you, you, you need a friend in your life <laughs> who will tell you that you need a mint, uh, that, that you need some gum. You, you need a friend in your life because uh, we all have bad breath, which is why we must brush our teeth and use mouthwash. But there's always somebody that comes along who thinks that those rules don't apply to them and they don't have bad breath. Okay, y'all don't want to go with me today, but let's, uh, let's talk about these masks that we had to wear for two years and some are still wearing them today. Uh, those masks during COVID, or some people say COVID, those masks, they bear witness to the fact that what I'm saying is true. Because uh, when you have a plethora of masks lying around, you, you say, which one is clean? So you pick them up and smell them. You smell one and say, oop, that's not clean. And you put that down. Because your breath is encased within the fabric of the mask. Halitosis is a real thing. Some of us have it worse than others, but we all have it. Bad breath is like toxicity. We all have it. We don't think we have it. We think we're better than what we really are, but technically there's some poison in us. There's some things in us and about us that are not perfected yet. Um, just ask Chris Paul, because if the right situation hits you while you're a multi-million dollar basketball player and you find out somebody was messing with your mother and your wife on Mother's Day, all the um, commercials you make for the insurance company, all that money you make on the basket, it goes out the window and you say to the perpetrator, I'll see you later. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but Chris Paul plays for the Phoenix Suns and there was a fan, um, they were playing at the other team's place, uh, Dallas, and so his family was being harassed by a fan and Chris Paul snapped. The toxicity in him, he could not be reserved in that moment, he snapped. Like some of us do during bouts of road rage where we snap because somebody cut us off or someone took our parking space that we were trying to get because I lined it up. I saw it and I did the right thing and I went around the right way and came down and somebody went the wrong way and back into my spot. Some toxicity, some spiritual halitosis can come out. The disciples that Jesus walked with, they had toxicity in them but they didn't think they did. Just like a lot of us. That's always somebody else's problem. That's not ours. And we're quicker to point a finger than we are to point a thumb and say, I've got some issues. I'm capable of doing anything to anyone at any time that does not honor or glorify Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let a person who thinks they're standing take heed lest they fall. We're all prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love, the songwriter said. We're all prone to do things we said we would never do or never do again. There's toxicity within us. But we need friends 
who will come by and not only point out the toxic ways that we have and do it in love, but also help give us remedies to lead us in a better path, to give us, if you will, a breath mint or to give us a piece of gum because they see that we're spoiled, that something is going awry inside of us. Jesus was there with his disciples, the ones who got to walk with Jesus in the flesh for three years, the ones who saw him with their eyes, the one who heard him with their ears. These guys still had so much junk and mess in them, and they walked with Jesus in the flesh. So 2,000 years later, we're not walking with Jesus in the flesh. We're not seeing him with our eyes. We're not hearing his voice with our ears. So how dare we think we don't have the stuff in us that was in Peter, James, John, and Philip, and on and on. Because we cannot get healed if we do not admit that we have some sicknesses. We all have sicknesses, and the disciples were just like anyone else. They were sinners in need of grace, sinners in need of salvation, even though they were apostles, as we're going to see today. Them brothers still had some toxicity in them, but I'm so glad. Again, I I, got to say, what we're going to see here is when the toxicity comes out, Jesus is there to speak to it, and Jesus is there to teach them to go in another path. And he is here for us that when our toxic ways come out, the Holy Spirit is here. And hopefully a brother or a sister is here as well to call out what they see or what they smell emanating from our lives. Because the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Man, don't talk to me. And you got a mint in your pocket. Knowing my breath is kicking like from, from here to Jump Street. And you walk away. And you tell people how bad I smell, but you had a remedy in your pocket to help me out. You're not my brother. You're not my sister. And if I do the same to you and I don't help you, I'm not your brother. I'm not your sister. Jesus stood there to say, you you brothers are struggling. I'm going to help you through your struggle. Help us today, master. Today, this message is called Toxic Disciples. Toxic Disciples. And three things we'll see. Number one, toxic disciples fight. Oh, yeah, they fight. Toxic disciples also forbid. And thirdly, toxic disciples fume. So let's find ourselves in the text before we just say, that, oh, that's for my cousin. Oh, let, let me call them, make sure they watch this. No, let, let, no, 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 let me, let me get this. First thing, toxic disciples fight. Luke Chapter 9, verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. Did you see that? Then a dispute arose. Some versions say an argument arose. So the 12 disciples who are walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, being empowered by Jesus, equipped by Jesus, They're arguing with one another. They have a dispute with one another. They have a fight with one another, and it's so shallow. It is a fight about greatness. It is a fight about power. It is a fight about self-interest as opposed to the interests of the kingdom. 
Because Jesus was like a one-man beetle band. I mean, wherever he went, the crowds thronged him, just like when the Beatles would tour the world and even the Jackson Five and other groups, you would see throngs of people following them and falling out and coming to their shows and on and on and on. And so when Jesus would go places, the thousands would come to hear him. They would come to be fed by him, to be healed by him. And the 12 got caught up in the limelight of Jesus. The limelight was on Jesus, but because they were close to Jesus, they tried to get some shine in the Lord's limelight. So they're looking at the crowds following him, wondering, okay, okay, they're here for me. No, they're not here for you, Otis. Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. They are coming to see Jesus, which is why they had a bad attitude. That after Jesus fed the 5,000, upwards of 20,000, we can't woman and children, he told them not only to distribute the food, but then to pick up the baskets, the fragments that were left over. They didn't want to do that. And the Bible says they missed that miracle because their hearts were hard. They didn't come to serve. They came to be served and to bask in the limelight of Christ. So when you look at the context of what's going on here in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he took with him Peter, James, and John, which many call the inner circle. The earlier portion of Luke 9 talks about that, how he went up to the mountain and he began to have his glory be revealed in flesh. The kingdom of God, a picture of the kingdom of God was coming on earth, which he talked about. Some of you will not die till you see the kingdom of God. And so those three got to see the kingdom of God. They got a snapshot of what was to come. Jesus in all of his glory began to shine, to outshine a noonday sun and his clothes began to glisten. And so, so, so a voice appears from out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the Bible says that Elijah and Moses came and talked to Jesus in this moment. And then Peter, James, and John, who uh, were just so struck by what was happening, it was Peter who said, uh, Master, uh, let us build three tabernacles because of what we just saw. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The father spoke from heaven and said, listen to my son. In other words, shut up. Peter should have been wearing peppermint socks because his foot was always in his mouth. Homeboy was always saying some crazy stuff. Build three tabernacles as if Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the same plane? You must be crazy. This is my son. Listen to him. Prioritize him. And then the Bible says they were afraid. And then the cloud of God departed and Jesus was there back in his regular human state. Then they came down off the mountain and there was a father with a son that was demon possessed and the nine disciples who were left down uh, amongst the people could not cast that devil out. So Jesus comes down and the man says, Master, I, I brought him to you boys. They couldn't do nothing. You know why they couldn't cast the devil out? Because they were divided. I know Jesus is going to say later, you got to pray and fast. But when you look at the context, he in, in nine, verse one, chapter nine, verse one, he gave them authority over all demons. So why couldn't they cast out that demon? Yeah, they need to pray and fast, but you can't operate as a church or as a body if you're divided amongst yourselves. 
Because the nine of them are probably like, why did the three of them go up there? Don't you remove the human element of these people in scripture. Don't put them on some level where you don't see their humanity. And with that, the scars, the bruises, and the blemishes. These guys struggle just like us. Human, capable of doing and saying anything that's ridiculous. And I bet the three who were with Jesus said, we were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and y'all weren't. (laughs) So they're fighting over who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem now. Where are they going to kill me? But I'm going to rise again from the grave. So he's making his trek from Galilee in the north to Judea in the south. They're going to have to go through Samaria. We'll see that in a minute. But while he's getting ready in his mind to carry the sins of the world in his body, his team, his staff, his disciples are over here fighting about who's going to be the greatest once he's gone. Toxic, toxic. They are fighting. James in James chapter four, verse one says, where do these wars come from? They come from within you. Because you desire to have and to take and to steal and to rob. This stuff, these wars, you got a war in you. There's toxicity in you that is spilled out. And now you're fighting with your brothers that you've gone two by two with. Now you're fighting. And and then somebody, mama, going to come and say, "Uh, Jesus, can my sons sit on your right hand and on your left hand? And all the other ten get mad because they didn't tell their mama to come and say that to Jesus. But there's a remedy, though. There's a remedy for this toxicity called pride. And the remedy is found in verse 47. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, these homeboys are fighting, man. He took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who sent for he who is least rather among you all will be great. So let me give you a remedy for your toxicity. Act like a child. Let me say it another way. Be childlike and stop being childish. It's childish that y'all fighting over this stuff. Come on now. Be childlike because this child is innocent. This child is just happy to be around Jesus. Imitate the children, which is why it's always good to serve children's ministry from time to time. Or if you have your own children to see the innocence in your children when you see the toxicity in yourself. Now, we know that children can act childish. But here what Jesus is saying, be like this child. Be least, be little, be small. Stop trying to be great and grand and seen and heard. You're not all that. And so this is not the only time he had to address this because they kept talking about who the greatest would be, which is why at the Last Supper, before he goes to Calvary, they're arguing about greatness in the upper room. How insensitive could they be? But the master's so patient. He said, let me teach him again. Takes off his clothes and gets a basin and a towel and starts washing their feet. The feet that will betray him and one that will even, or rather one that will betray him and all that will deny him. Washes their feet, puts his clothes back on, and he says, now, I've just shown you what greatness is. Greatness is serving. 
going low, doing things that are despicable, doing things that other people don't want to do. That's greatness. Because if you want to be great in the kingdom, go low. And if you don't get it, look at my life. I am the most high, but I came into toilet bowl earth most low. I'm modeling what I'm teaching to you. Go low. So the remedy for when the toxicity comes and you want people to acknowledge you and see you and you got to go low. <laughs> a few years ago, we were in Memphis for MLK 50, Martin Luther King's, uh, the 50th anniversary of his assassination. And there was this big conference Doreen and I went to. Speakers from all over the country, black, white, male, female. It was amazing. But I'll never forget there was one speaker in the hallway who has a large church and it's a multiracial church and it's a brother black guy, good man. But I remember him having an attitude in the lobby that he was not on the platform to speak at the conference. That he was so mad that he was not in one of the panels, that he was not one of the keynote speakers and he was crying in the hallway. And I'm just kind of looking like, oh man, for real? For real? Am I seeing this? And got, got multiple books and all this kind of stuff, but mad because he felt a sense of entitlement to be on the stage. Whenever we start feeling like we have a sense of entitlement to do anything, we in trouble. Everything we have is from God. First Corinthians says, what do you have that you did not receive? So if you're not supposed to be on the platform, you're not supposed to be on the platform. If God wants you on the platform, you'll be on the platform. It ain't all about the platform. The real ministry happens off the platform. In the streets, amongst the people who are hurting and broken. And there's a lot to go around, pastor. Stop seeking the limelight. That's the toxicity. It's in all of us. But secondly, though, toxic disciples forbid Verse 49, now John answered and said, now, now again, after hearing this message, Jesus just checked them about humility. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Hmm. I love the fact that we have four different gospel writers because they're giving you these stories from different angles and perspectives. You got to watch the Apostle John because uh, he kind of slick with his. When you read the Gospel of John, he's described as the disciple whom Jesus loves. When he writes the Gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit but not denying his personality and experiences in history, he uh, says he's the one who leans on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper and says, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? If all you read about John was in John's gospel, you would think that John was like up here. But that's why Mark comes along. That's why Luke and Matthew, because Mark is going to remind us that this brother right here, John and his brother James, going to see it in a minute. Jesus gave him a nickname. Sons of what? Thunder. The disciple whom Jesus loved had a bad temper. 
has some toxic stuff in him. But again, if you just let him tell it, his breath don't stink. But Marcus said, no, let me tell you something. Luke said, no, no, no. It, it was John who told this man, stop casting out devils. Why? Because he ain't with us, Jesus. Isn't that the mindset of many Christians today? If you're not with us, there's no way you can be with Jesus. Oh, you missed it. I'm going to read it again. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow with us. That's not the question if they're following with you. The question is, are they following Jesus? But that's why denominationalism is such a trap. People get arrogant that, that, that you're not a part of their denomination as if you don't know Jesus. You don't go to their church. So therefore, you don't know Jesus. Sectarianism is not of God. We're one family, one body, many parts. The issue on the floor is, do you know Jesus? But now watch this though. They can't cast out a devil. And then here's a no-name disciple of Jesus casting out a devil. How much of that is jealousy? But shouldn't they be like, man, somebody else out here casting out devils? I should be happy because there are more devils than we can deal with. I'm glad somebody else out here casting out devils. There's devils everywhere. Thank you, Jesus. That's a kingdom mindset. But when you're territorial, when you're churchy, when you're traditional, it's all about what y'all are doing and not what somebody else is doing. In the, they don't do it the way we do it. That's right. They do it the way Jesus told them to do it. Because watch this. Apparently, Jesus authorized some people to cast out devils other than the 12. And when Jesus authorized those people, he didn't check with the disciples first to see if it was a good idea. He didn't get their permission. He didn't get their approval. He doesn't have to. So when John is saying he forbade somebody, John was out of line. He didn't have that authority, that authorization to, to tell somebody to stop doing God's work. You don't believe me? Watch the remedy. Here it is. Here it is. Verse 50. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him. For he who is not against us is on our side. That's that piece of gum Jesus gave John. You raggedy right now, bro. Who told you to do that? Religion must have taught you that, not me. The old way must have taught you that kind of one up on other folks and sectarianism and division. No, that's not what I've been teaching for three years. It's hard to get some of that old stuff out of you. I remember when I first got to, to, to Tennessee, man, I didn't know anything about the Church of Christ. Church of Christ, okay. They're, they're like the Baptist, primitive Baptist, Presbyterian. What? No, 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 Church of Christ. They say we the only church. We the Church of Christ. Okay, that's a cool name, but that don't mean y'all the only churches of Christ. Why y'all putting that kind of pressure on yourselves? But the arrogance to think, Unless you go to our church, you don't know Jesus. Unless you've been baptized in our church, you don't know Jesus. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
That's legalism. That's sectarianism. And that's not even, that's wrong. You ought to be happy that there are other churches preaching Jesus. They do it different because they have different experiences and they see the text differently. Stop trying to do Jesus' job of managing the kingdom. He didn't ask you to do that. You're going over here to that church where the concert, I don't know if I want to go in that church, girl. You know what they do over there. I don't agree with all that. <laughs> but then thirdly, not only do, do, do toxic disciples fight and forbid, but they fume. Verse 51, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. That means die that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52, and sent messengers before his face because his guys would go and prepare places for him. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's toxicity. Jesus has just been discriminated against because of race. The Samaritans, which is right there in the middle between Galilee and Judea. Jesus would often go through Samaria when many of the Jews would go around Samaria. What's the big deal with Samaria? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 17, it lets us know that the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, their capital was in Samaria. But then when the Assyrians, another nation, came against the northern kingdom and captured them and defeated them, they moved the Jews out of Samaria, out of the northern uh, 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 kingdom, and they transplanted other people there from across the world at that time, but they were non-Jews. And so when these people came in, these Gentiles that the Jews saw as dogs, they came in and started living in Samaria. And when the Jews who were left behind and Jews who came back, they started intermarrying with these people of all these different ethnic groups that were non-Jewish. And so therefore, this group of people called the Samaritans who lived in Samaria, this populace was developed. And the Jews always saw them as mixed racially, as like taboo. But then also, these folks here, they only subscribed to the first five books of the Old Testament or the Pentateuch. They didn't care about the prophets. They only cared about uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so the, the, they, they were mixed religiously now. And so the pious Jews, especially in the South, had a problem with those half-breeds right there in Samaria. And so they're part Jewish and part everything else. They're, they're just mutts. They, they just got a little bit of everything in them. And the Jews despised them. John chapter 4, when Jesus went through Samaria, the Bible says that for Jews and Samaritans have no dealings. And that was going on for hundreds of years, at least 400 years. So there was this uh, animosity between Jews and Samaritans. 
But Jesus would talk about the good Samaritan. Jesus would take them into Samaria and sit at the well and minister to the woman. Jesus was trying to open up their worldview to give them a kingdom view, but they were still in process. So when it was time to go to Jerusalem and Jesus says, let's stay at a hotel in Samaria. And the Samaritan said, where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. Now we cool with you, but we're not cool with them. If you're going up there, you can't stay here. Discrimination based on race. When James and John saw it, though, the hotheads, the sons of thunder. Uh, Lord, I know you just gave me two lessons about fighting and about all this other stuff, but, but forget all that. You want us to blow this bad boy up? We'll blow it up, Lord. And Jesus, uh, we got biblical reasons to blow it up. Because in 2 Kings chapter 1, the prophet Elijah was in Samaria and the king sent people to him in order to arrest him. And, and, and every time they came, uh, uh, Elijah, the prophet, commanded fire to come down from heaven and destroy 50 soldiers and destroy another 50 soldiers. So John and James are like, we in our Bible and we in Samaria. We saw what Elijah did. He was just walking with you on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's why I kind of triggered my memory. Uh, Lord, can we do what he did and blow this place up? They were about to commit a racial hate crime, an act of domestic terrorism in the name of God. Somebody better be glad that Jesus was there to catch this and call it out. And, and, and that's the thing. If we're not in community and we come up with these crazy notions and ideas and theories and belief systems and nobody is there to check it. It's just going to breed into more illness and lawlessness. But Jesus was there to check them just like he's here to check us. When we start thinking bad thoughts and when we start saying things about that group of people or that sex, Jesus is there if we're listening to catch it and say, you know, that's wrong. You know that's wrong. Let's see what Jesus did. Let's see what he did. Let's see what he did. The remedy, here it is. Luke 9, 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, wait, stop. He, turned, he heard something that was said that to the other guys sounded right. Now, they were just fighting with each other but they had no problem teaming up against the Samaritans. Who the greatest? Who the greatest? Man, let's kill all of them Samaritans. But Jesus heard it and he rebuked them. How many times do we hear stuff said within the black community that's wrong and we just let it go? How many times do we hear stuff said in the white community that's wrong and we just let it go? Now, when you hear some stuff, because you're a kingdom person? No, wait a minute, hold up now, that's wrong. We gotta rebuke that. Wait a minute, man, that's radical. No, that's Jesus. You wanna be like him, right? Yeah. Holy Spirit making you like him, right? Stop being a coward. But he turned and rebuked them because if you love him, you're gonna tell him the truth. If you love him, you're gonna say something. You're just not gonna be complicit and silent. Open your mouth and say something. Yeah. Right. And he said, he said, uh, uh, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, I don't know where that came from. That didn't come from me. 
That didn't come from God. So if it ain't come from me, it come from God. What other spirit is there? Man, that came from hell. That came from Satan. Now, pastor, pastor, you, you wait a minute, hold on, time out. Yeah, I said that. Because just because you walk with Jesus, that doesn't mean that you can't be influenced by Satan. That he can't feed your mind, not only with worldly thoughts, but with evil thoughts. Which is why the Bible says we got to take every thought captive and make them obedient to Jesus. Because every thought that come in is not of God. And Satan influences thinking. One day Peter says, when Jesus says, who do men say I am? Oh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Ah, Pete, flesh and blood didn't give you that, man. My father gave you that rhema, gave you that insight, that illumination. Blessed are you. I'm going to build my church on that revelation, baby. The next set of verses. When Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise on the third day. Peter pulled Jesus aside and rebuked Jesus, saying, Lord, that can't happen to you. Homeboy again was sincere, but sincerely wrong. And Jesus had to say to him, get behind me who? Satan. Satan. For you have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. One minute you are full of the spirit, God giving you revelation. The next minute you hop in the flesh, you're full of yourself and you're saying demonic stuff. Christians can come under the influence of lies. And Jesus said, no, nah, man, no, nah, man. I don't know what spirit that is. I'm checking that right now. And here's what he says that I love. He says, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So anything Jesus is doing, it's about saving life. It's not about destroying life. Now, there'll come a time when lives will be destroyed. But I need to let you know that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. But right now we are in this age of grace. You know how I know? Because when Jesus was in the synagogue and they handed to him the prophet uh, Isaiah scroll and he talked about the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the captives free, on and on and on. And he says that this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he rolled up the scroll and handed it back. But the rest of the passage goes on to talk about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. That's coming right now. This is about the acceptable favor of God. It's about lives being said. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But I came into the world that I might save the lost. Those who don't believe condemn themselves. How do we get some of this Jesus, man, this radical just don't listen to him. Do what he says, even if your knees are knocking. Well, the way Jesus rebuked his two toxic disciples and showed them a better way is the remedy needed to see change occur in our society today. It took a Jew confronting two other Jews about their toxicity because James and John would have never listened to a Samaritan share the same message. In other words, if a Samaritan said, hey, man, what spirit is that? James and John would have said, man, get behind me, get beneath me. You don't have a right to tell me anything. But a Jewish man, the Messiah, said, y'all are wrong. Pastor, what's going on? When there are racial hate crimes that go on, especially ones perpetrated by white supremacists, which the FBI has said that they are the main uh, 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 hate group to be uh, mindful of in this day and hour. 
They've surpassed Islamic terrorists. So therefore, when black pastors and leaders start saying, this stuff is wrong, our voice falls on deaf ears because people have heard us say it at the time. They expect us to say it. Oh, they're saying it again. So they're not going to listen to me. But when a white brother or a white sister calls out their own, it's like, wait a minute, hold on. Because that's not what normally happens. There's a few that will say, hey, that's wrong, that's wrong. And there are a few, and y'all get called liberals and progressives and all of that. I just hope you know you're a child of God no matter what they call you. We just need more who are willing to say and call out the spirit of white supremacy. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, you better believe it. But man, when I get more, and that's why when I come up in Strong Tower, man, I know I got other voices here. And sometimes I listen to my white brothers and sisters. They herald before I do, man, and I just say, thank you, Jesus. And, and I can weep and I can mourn because there are others fighting this spirit. It's not just me. We need more. Speak up at the dining room table. Speak up in the classroom. Wrong is wrong. And for black folks, we do the same thing. When a black man goes and kills Korean or shoots at Korean women, we call it out too. When we consider what happened in Buffalo, it's going to take more white people who have courage and conviction to call out other white people in private and in public about the evils of white supremacy and white replacement theories. Until this happens, expect to see more race-based carnage taking place. It's sad. But I got hope today as I close. I got hope. I got hope. Because although those disciples were toxic, especially James and John, they didn't stay toxic. They didn't stay toxic. And just because you have and I have traces of toxicity because we're still fallen, though we're redeemed, don't be discouraged because God's grace is greater than our sin. And it's his grace that transforms us daily, his goodness, his mercy, that he doesn't give us what our sins deserve. He gave it to Jesus. And so the gospel motivates us to live differently and to love everybody. We got another chance because we got another day and we got more mercy and John, he changed. Pastor, how you know, how you know? Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, the dude that wanted to blow them folk up. He was sent to Samaria who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So God used a vile, toxic brother who was in process, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who was by the cross who said, I'll take care of your mother, that guy who had issues, Jesus didn't throw him away. He educated him, talked to him, rebuked him, challenged him. And in time, he began to grow and change so that when the gospel is going forth, 
And those people in that part of town get the good news. God set it up where I'm going to give them the message, but they're not going to get the Holy Spirit apart from the laying of hands. So uh, let's see here. Peter, because we know how you are. You carry a pocket knife. You ready to cut everybody up. Uh, Peter, you cuss people out. Peter and John. These two leaders. Y'all want to be great, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Y'all still want to go serve. Y'all want to be great. Go touch those people. The Holy Ghost wouldn't come until and unless they put their hands on the Samaritan. Not around their throat to choke them. That was a couple years ago. But now in love. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, making them brothers and sisters in the body of Jesus Christ. So toxicity can be healed. If we let the healer heal us, that's all I got. Let's stand for prayer. This is real. We need some drivers today. Our boxes are ready. They've been packed. Ready to go out and bless people who need some help, who need a meal, who need some encouragement. Setting pace for when we come out on June 1st as a church. But you want to do something great? Serve. That's what Martin Luther King said. Anyone can be great because everyone can serve. Need a couple of drivers. And watch this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The greater blessing is on those of us who give than upon those who receive the gift. Let's watch the kingdom come. Father God, we thank you for this place called Strong Tower. We take no credit for it. You called us to dwell together in unity, even though we're so very different. This is the way it should be. But this thing, this thing called race has infected us and affected us so much that we've normalized division. We've normalized tradition and denominationalism to a point where we are divided as a body and we wonder why we can't confront demons in society today. The church is so divided. But I thank you, God. You are the remedy. As long as we're living, we can't be so far gone that you can't bring us back and even to our senses. With the living, there is hope. Jesus, I don't know what you're up to. I, I don't know exactly how all of this is going to play out, but you told us to love people. Thank you that the Holy Spirit in us produces the fruit of love. So therefore, Lord, when people are lost, we, we can't condemn them. We definitely should not condone their decisions. It's our prayer, Lord, that we can compel them by your love working through us. And so for that to happen, Lord, we confess our toxicity that gets in the way every day. Forgive us, cleanse us. And not only, Lord, toxicity towards unbelievers, but Lord, toxicity towards believers. We fight, we feud, we forbid others. We try to act like we have authority that you never gave us to shut stuff down and, and we're divisive and the devil is using us. Lord, we repent. We're tired of being one of his pawns. Show us how to humble ourselves. Show us how, Lord, to put others before ourselves. Help this church that the enemy would love to divide. 
Lord, use us, keep us. Help us to maintain the unity that you purchased on Calvary. So glad we don't have to make the unity. We just got to maintain the unity. We're brothers and sisters. We're related by the blood. Thank you for the good news, for the hope. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus. Lord, keep blessing this church to be a blessing. May we not put a bushel on the light that you've called us to be. We not only want to feed people, but Lord, we want to lead people. And as it was said in our pre-membership class yesterday, might this church be a safe place for people who are in process. People who are not as delivered as some of us are. No matter what it is, may it be a safe place for sick people to come and get the remedy, the truth, the love from Jesus. Might we extend that kind of mercy to others that you extend to us. Forgive us, Lord, for being self-righteous. But God, I'm excited about the days to come. Lord, I pray that you would bless us so that, Lord, oh my, we, we would sit here and say, oh my goodness, look what God is doing. Pour out your spirit in this house. Do great things. And remind us that great things are the little things. We love you so much. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and all authority both now and forevermore. And all of the redeemed of the Lord said. Come on, redeemed of the Lord. The redeemed of the Lord said. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful day.